Hello, everyone, and welcome to Team Titans. This is the show with stories about people, right? The people with unique perspectives on work itself and how they define processes, build tools, lead teams, and maybe break all of that stuff that I just said. I am your host, Ryan Spilkin, and joining me today on co-hosting duties is Lucia Scarborough. Lucia, hello. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me today. Lucia, it is a real pleasure to have you as my co-host today. You are the chief people officer at Adaptivist, but right now you are the chief people grower in your family. Is that, am I, am I right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Raising, um, rearing and raising the next generation of Adaptivists <laughs> from, from, from cot straight to coding. <laughs> and so you are preparing to uh, give birth to a bouncing baby adaptivist. Uh, let me ask, do you get in on the referral scheme when the baby comes to work? Well, I mean, if it's if it's not written like that now, it certainly will be by the time he gets here. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, you know, the, the impending motherhood, the impending journey you're about to go on is just such an adventure and it's really exciting. And I think that uh, our, our, may, our guest today has some experience in that and a whole lot more experience about the challenges that uh, face us going through this crazy world. And it is my pleasure to welcome to Team Titans today, clinical psychotherapist, mental health counselor, and the CEO of PVL, Petra Belzebor. Petra, welcome to Team Titans. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, Petra, you mentioned that you, you have kids and you know about that journey. But right now you are on a journey of fitness. And uh, I got to be honest with you, it sounds pretty hardcore. Tell us about your road down that way. Sure. I mean, for me, you know, working remotely, I have a fully remote team, that whole thing. You know, I'm just sitting more than I've ever sat in my life. Right. And I used to now I've got a bit more variety, but I used to just walk everywhere. If I'd get off of the underground and um, you know, walk two stops, or if I was between things, I'd call people between meetings and walk. And there's just much less of that. And I feel it in my body. I feel it in my nervous system. So I feel like we've got to be more conscious about exercise. So my partner and I, uh, a gym opened a two minute walk from our house. Now, this was revolutionary because it's the whole like, get in the car, go somewhere, you know, that was a bit of a barrier. And now it's like, the gym is next to the shop where you buy chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like choosing to do and it's just really good for stress levels. But I, I have a bit of a laugh as well, because I'm definitely the, a, a beginner amongst experts. So are you going to get the chocolate before or after the workout? I mean, I think the gym acts as like a guilt device. So when I sometimes still go for the chocolate, because let's face it, we need different ways to look after our well-being. Um, I'll go, did I hit that gym first? And you know what this gym has? It has a full body massage chair. Yeah. So you hit the gym, you do your 300 workout, you feel really sweaty and good about yourself. And then have you ever sat in like a full body, like you take your shoes off and it's like envelops your feet, your shoulders, like everything's going at once. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to stay here for a while. So that's fun too. <laughs> I'd be tempted to skip the gym bit and just go straight to the massage It is there. tempting. <laughs> that, would be is my, tempting. that would be my, my downfall. Well, with babies on the way, I would imagine that would be the right thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm just scared of the idea of it enveloping my feet because they're so sensitive, like just even looking at them and I'll think I'm being tickled. So 
this is this is risky. Now, Petra, you mentioned something in the in what you just told us about well-being, and that's really what you focus on. So before we really start prodding you, because we're believe me, we're here for the full examination. Can you tell us what brought you to focus on mental health and well-being in your life? I've been in the that industry, I guess, for for 15 years, um, quite quite a long time. I trained as a psychotherapist, so I started in youth mental health and you know, was it was a counselor and, you know, helping people individually. Of course, most people who are in the mental health space have a personal story as well, either whether it's their own mental health or somebody close to them. So I certainly have a, a, a journey there as well. But the reason I started my business was I kept working in the corporate well-being space and, and for employee assistance programs, different people that were there to, to support well-being. And they were talking a good game, advising other people what to do, and toxic themselves. And, you know, having lived a double life in the past, which really was negative for my mental health, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. So I kind of set out building the business to prove a point, which was, can we build the culture that does what it's advising other people to do? And so now it's about, you know, training strategy, supporting people, not just to tick the box of well-being. We've got benefits. Yay. You know, but it's like, what's your psychological safety like? What's your culture like? How do we support way before we get to any kind of crisis that's awesome so what what do you think that um leaders can do do now to proactively encourage that well-being and mental health conversations rather than it getting to it being too late um yeah what kind of whether there's flags that they should see what what can they do to almost stop getting to that point So long before the flags, there's two key things. One is leading by example. So like, what are you doing to live a mentally healthy life and to talk about it? And so that could be something really simple. Like I'll do keynotes and, you know, you'll have 250 leaders and I'll say, how many of you invest in yourselves? That's a, that's a good like sentence. Cause it's not like who has mental health. It's like, Oh, say, how do you invest in yourself? Like, Oh, we understand investment, you know? And like <laughs> 90% of people like raise their hand. They're like, yeah, I go to the gym or I see a coach or I have friends or whatever they do. And then I'm like, that's so cool. Right. Make everyone right all the time. And I'm like, which of you, like how many of your people know that you do those things? And like 20% of the room will raise their hand. And so this is free, like put it in your calendar, talk about it, say I, I had an early night last night because it's great for my mental health and my focus. Or, um, you know, I've got, if I have therapy, it's in my calendar. My team can see I've got therapy on a Monday at 11, you know? And, and you know, so it kind of, it's a permission giving tool to support people to know it's their responsibility to invest in themselves, but you're doing it as well. And this is part of the culture. And then the other piece is around, vulnerability. Now that's a bit of a scary word. I often talk about, um, you know, uh, developing the the courage muscle or developing your bravery, right? Because that like, oh, I want to be brave, right? That feels a little bit more uh, like a club you want to be part of. And but that means like when you're struggling, or no matter what level of the business you're at, it's being open about that. Because again, that gives permission for other people to normalize conversations about mental health long before the conversation of what are the red flags? How do we notice when someone's struggling? So we have a little bit of a different perspective, not we being adaptivists. This call is featuring members uh, from both the United States and from the great from Great Britain. And uh, there's a pretty vast gap in in outlook around these things in leadership circles, as I can tell. 
and I've seen this in both British and American companies, is that some leaders don't want to say that they've been wrong and they don't want to show that they are human and vulnerable. What are some ways that that we can that we can get to a place where we're ready to behave that way and to really lead by example? I mean, while you were talking about the differences between the UK and the US, like people can't see my face, but I was like nodding furiously and had so much to say. And I was like, how much time have we got? Because <laughs> I could just talk about that. <laughs> um, and there are differences. And I think in the US, I, I would put it down to more fear around, you know, legal implications, unfounded often, but fear that if I ask somebody how they really are about their family or about their mental health, that that could, um, you know, become a lawsuit is essentially the bottom line fear, right? Which is different in the UK. But the leveler was the pandemic. Because in during the pandemic, yes, there were some people who had a garden, for example, which was an example of privilege during isolation, or there were people who had, you know, um, they lived with people or they had different circumstances. But what we all realized was that it affected everyone. You know, it didn't matter how rich you were or who, how senior you were, you were affected by isolation, by loneliness, by lack of interaction, a whole host of things, by fear of your, your personal health and, you know, all these sorts of things. So that's an opportunity. So if we see that not only as an opportunity because it's a leveler, but also as like, oh, we proved that we can work remotely. Basically, the whole world of work has been disrupted. There is an opportunity to change how we lead, how we show up, how we trust people, um, our ways of working, flexi working, globalization, all these sorts of things. And either when we have uh, change, you can kind of back off and hold tighter and be like, you know, micromanage and say nothing about yourself and tell people stuff. I mean, that's a mistake. We're seeing that in the great resignation, people just voting with their feet. They're like, I'm not doing this, right? Um, or you can flip it and go, what's the opportunity for me to learn and evolve my leadership style alongside how the way world of work is evolving? Because to not do so does mean you'll be left behind. So just to shift the perspective a little bit. And of course, the first time you do these things, it's scary. You're worried you're going to fail. And you know, I'll say things like, I might not get this right, or I've never been at this stage of leading a business. You know, These are the things I think. What do you guys think? So it's admitting that my limitations and then collaborating with my team to get to the next level. Nice. Well, I, have, I have so much, so many questions as, as you're speaking, because it's, it's so, so much stuff resonates. And I think one of the, one of the big things I guess that I, I imagine is still a problem is there still seems to be a taboo around mental health. And it's not just kind of people being worried about talking about mental health. But I think sometimes people can be scared, actually, that they could ask a question and someone says, you know what, mentally, I'm having a really rough day. And they kind of go, oh, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. How, how do you think we can kind of progress that conversation, get people feeling more, more comfortable out talking about it or maybe being um, ex exposed to it? So when we do, we have a mental health for leaders course that just kind of helps to, to support people and train people. and there's a couple of fears that come up, which is what, what you're indicating, right? One is the fear of it's Pandora's box and, you know, it's going to open this thing that, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, um, there's going to be emotion. This person's going to be falling apart and we got shit to do. And like, how am I going to do this? And then I won't know what to say or how to fix it. 
And that for a leader who is meant to like know things and fix things feels like super destabilizing or that the follow on of like, I might say the wrong thing and like fuck it up. So lots of fears. And so we avoid the topic completely. Right. And so in our training, first of all, we should talk about the power of listening. Simple. It's like the, the gift of attention is the biggest gift you can give somebody in a world where within 12 to 15 seconds, you are distracted these days. Right. So to simply give somebody attention and space is already massively useful for their mental health. Secondly, you do not need to know the ins and outs of every mental, mental health uh, diagnosis in order to support someone. Even if you've experienced depression and they're telling you about depression, your experiences will still be different. So, so all these things, saying things like, hey, I've experienced depression, but what's it like for you? Or you're going through a bereavement, you know, like, um, you know, I lost somebody once. So you're connecting. But what's it like for you? Right. The other fear is that people are going to take sick days. And especially in the UK that, you know, if they talk about this stuff, they're, oh, my God, now I've got to let everyone have a sick day and nobody's doing the work. And, you know, and people forget that work can be a protective factor, especially we learned in the pandemic in these different kind of isolating times. Routine, community, purpose, connection, um, being in flow because maybe you're good at your job. Like these are benefits to your mental health. So sometimes the best thing, like people say, okay, do you want to take time off? It's more like, what do you need in order to enable you to do your job well and collaborating on that? You guys can see I could talk about this oh, all day. That's a fantastic change. That's, that's a very subtle shift in um, the focus of the message very subtle, tremendously impactful. Just changing how, just changing the um, the second part of empathizing from I've been, you know, I've been there being the first part and the second part being like, and it's rough, but changing that to what's it like for you? Oh, that's, that's fantastic, Petra. Thank you. I'm going to try that. And that encourages connection, right? It so yeah. does. In the, in the same way, um, because this really points to, to a requirement of psychological safety. We can't open these things unless we feel in our, and, and I could be wrong. So the two of you are welcome to tell me that I'm wrong because, you know, I often am. But a team can't really get past the hump of, of even letting these things out until a baseline of safety has, has been established. How do you establish that psychological safety baseline with your team? I have lots to say. Um, Lucia, do you have anything to say just on building safety, I guess, in, in a team? I think the, the big thing for me has always been, like, like we were saying earlier, leading by example with my team. I've always tried to be very open. Like I'll say, you know what, I'm just having a, a really, a really tough day or, you know what, I'm taking a mental health day today. Because I think, yeah, leading by example is 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 the biggest thing to show that you're kind of you're walking the walk as as well as talking the talk. That for me is really really important. I, if I may, though, but like t saying, there are so many jobs where if we miss something by a day or if we need to take that day, no one is going to die. No one is going to lose a limb. They're not going to lose any digits. Their eyes are still going to work. Okay. Take the day off. 
Petra thing. It's sorry, sorry. I just had well, to, we get just no. You're right. There, we you get know? so intense about it, right? And everything, so but especially when our nervous system is in a fight or flight state, which which um the pandemic and and the news and the war and like constant notifications of like danger, danger, threat, threat. It's putting our nervous system in this place that's like constantly um, jumpy, right? And thinking, what's the threat? And it's really hard to then connect with people because you have more conflict. You're more like attack mode, right? Um, and so we're seeing that, especially remotely, then things get misconstrued and a whole host of things happen. Uh, but as you said, like um, psychological safety is small building blocks of trust that build over time. And so it's through vulnerability, but it's also creating space to discuss things like how we work, not just what we do. And for so many people, it's like action, 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 tasks, tasks. But actually, let's sit back and go, what are our working practices? Like, what works for you? What works for you? And it's going to be different. But how do we collaborate? We are all making this up as we go along. Nobody's been in this hybrid. This wasn't a thing before, right? And so we're all figuring it out together. So the people who are acting like they know exactly how it should work, they're lying, you know? It's just, <laughs> it's like we've got it. And I'm a mental health expert, you know, but I'm I'm figuring out hybrid with my team. You know what I mean? Um, a couple of actually, you've mentioned it a couple of times, Petra, and I think it's it's a really interesting thing that we've got going on at the moment is actually about the external world and everything that's that's going on. I mean, goodness me, a couple of weeks ago I would have said the world's the world's a bit on fire. We're only like 14 days later and I'm like, the temperature's gone up a couple of degrees, like even, even just from that. And in, in some ways, work can be a kind of a, it can kind of help distract from it. But how can we help staff deal with things that are completely out of our control? So it's, it's mindset skills, but ultimately the person needs to be open and want to develop them, right? We can offer skills and tools, but and we can create safe places in the workplace to practice them like hey let's do a lunchtime meditation or you know we'll do things like that with my team just have mental health check-ins or and we don't mean are you depressed that's not what a mental health check-in is to us it's like hey it's like hey how's your mental health you know how people are these days it's like how are you that's how we check in how are you and then the person goes yeah Life's tough. And it's like you're matching the question tone <laughs> because you're like, oh, we're all suffering. And to not be suffering is like a radical and, you know, probably going to make you feel bad. So let's all suffer together. And I've said this at keynotes and I've had people come up to me after and go, Petra, whisper, I'm actually doing really well. And I just don't tell anyone. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, the world is actually a balanced place. People have good things and they have tough things, you know. They connect and do enjoyable things and there's wars and things are going on, right? So it's like, what are you tuning your frequency into? And that doesn't mean we're, we're saying those things aren't happening. We're acknowledging that they are. And then we're giving people choices. What is in your control? What is out of your control? Um, do you, like, I don't list, I don't watch the news ever. I literally never watch the news. Why and I'm and I'm okay, <laughs> but I'm probably more than okay. Of course you hear it. And you know, my boyfriend will be like the bearer of news. And I'll be like, Ooh, tell me more of what you heard. But what I'm doing is I'm protecting my nervous system. I'm protecting my agency, my ability to choose how I feel rather than allowing all the influences to dictate how I run my life. And so it's disruptive in a team meeting to say, tell, let's go around. Like what's one good thing that's happening for you today. That's radical these days. What's one thing you're grateful for? 
And what it does in your brain is it's, it's impacting neuroplasticity and developing new thought processes that allow you to focus in different ways. So like, I want to challenge people's mental health thinking to be about that as well as acknowledging when someone's struggling and creating space for that. Like both of those things support a mentally healthy culture. So much of what you're talking about, it, it just really, really harkens back to the mindset work. Like you have a, a person, not you, people have to accept that the world itself is growing more VUCA all the time. VUCA being an acronym devised by the U.S. military to say uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, VUCA. So that's just a whole mess of letters that say nothing real and uh, point to a lot of craziness. But really, it does come down to our growing to be able to handle the good and the bad at the same time. Look at them with both hands. How do you encourage folks to adopt a mindset that allows them to freely hold the good and the bad together? It's funny. When, when we're afraid, we attach ourselves to a side. We go into black and white thinking. We've seen this with politics. We've seen this with the vax debate. We've seen this with a whole host. You know, do you, Did you approve of lockdowns or not? And it's like, pick a side. Pick a side. You're, everything is like, I'm on this side or I'm this side, I'm on this camper. And the th what we're doing from a primal perspective is we're just trying to belong. Because when things are scary, we need to belong to a tribe. Otherwise, physically, we feel like we're, you know, we're under threat. We're, we're not going to survive, right? And so there's, it's rarely, if ever, is it black or white, one side or the other. That this life is what happens in the middle. It's all the gray, messy, uncertain. This is true and this is true. These things are true. It depends what my perspective is. I bet any of you could, could be like, one day, exact same problem. I feel like, Let's, I can handle it. Let's go to the gym first and then handle it. And on another day, you're like, the world's going <laughs> to end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's perspective, right? So right. I think helping people... Um, Again, speaking from your own experience, but also helping people weigh up like, all right, it's uncertain. We're not all here to fix everything. Sometimes it just is. Like, how do you choose to live your day to day? And the more you can set the foundations of classic, simple things, sleep, nutrition, movement, meditation, you know, whatever it is, connection, the more you're, you're elevated to a point to be able to, to make those decisions, right? So it's like, what's in our control? Um, so actually, obviously, there's lots of different um, benefits that companies can provide. And I think lots of times they can be used as kind of a, a bit of a, a blunt instrument. But also where there aren't formal programs that companies feel that they can they can give or maybe they can't afford it because they're a, a smaller company. What do you think they can do to help their staff or just kind of keep an eye on staff? Keep this in the kind of the front of their minds so they can they can help out their employees. I mean, from my perspective, a mentally healthy culture does not rely on helplines, resources, apps, or anything. I'm not saying those are bad. I'm all for them. They play a they play a function and they can be useful. But what we know from the numbers is that engagement on some of those things has is dropped off. Like people are not engaging with some of these these apps, tools, and even helplines. Um, and so how is that the whole picture in many businesses, the benefits and, you know, so if you don't have those things, that's okay. 
Uh, and if you're a small company, it's easier to create the opportunity for psychological safety, like building the foundation blocks of communication, connection. I mean, recently a team member came to me and talked about her anxiety and some of the stuff she was struggling with. I'm the CEO. And she was like, in any previous job, there is no way I would have gone to the CEO. I would have called someone external to the business. And she said, but, but when I call you, like, I know that you're not going to think, ooh, I don't know if she can handle her role anymore. Hmm, let's be careful about that. I'm also not saying, do you need, like, do we need to take, take something off your plate? Like, unless she's asking for that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, what, I'm just listening, like I said earlier. And I'm empowering personal solutions. Like, how can I help? What do you need to do in order to be able to manage it, right? So there's things you can do intrinsic to the culture. And what I love now is like the most junior member of staff will check on the most senior and vice versa. And everybody's like responsible for the culture. Um, because even if you have benefits and resources, many people are not pitching them in a way that's preventative and useful. And by the time you've hit crisis, crisis, and oh, yay, you've got five or six free sessions, you know, that person might be leaving anyway, or might, you know, be long-term sick or whatever it might be. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another, another um, challenge that we have within, within our business, it's not only that we're, we're at the other end of the spectrum, so we're, we become much bigger. We obviously have the different kind of stereotypical culture like Ryan was saying only about kind of the UK versus the US and I would add in um also our our colleagues in Asia as well as a very different kind of uh, kind of cultural mindset as well um but what we have is also um lots of remote workers there might only be one or two people in in one country and also that we work asynchronously as a business as well. So time zone wise, like Ryan in the US won't be awake just at all. His, his working day won't overlap at all with some of our uh, colleagues in the Lumpur office. Um, so how do you think we can impact how we, how we provide the safe space for, for our staff? So um, that's more and more a challenge these days, isn't it? With async work, globalization, a whole host of things. So um, where possible, like if there is a crossover kind of a bit of your time zone, like my COO's in New York, we're in London. Uh, there's a guy in Lisbon that, you know, we're across, you know, we're across, we're not in Asia, but we're across quite a few locations. And so we'll make sure that we have crossover hours, time, sort of 2 p.m. UK is 9, 9 a.m. over there. Um, and we're really intentional about those those connection times. So when you're remote, you have to be more explicit about connection. You can't just, oh, it's just going to happen, right? We, so we do like a values exercise where we talk about bravery or human connection. One of our values, we'll, we'll, we'll do something playful. We'll do something fun. We have a Monday morning check-in for, for, you know, we have different ways. And again, collaborate with your people about what works for you. Um, with async teams, it might be useful if you're a bigger company to have a mental health champion program. And, you know, we do some of that training, but it's not, it's not what some programs are, which is little meerkats looking for signs and symptoms of poor mental health. Exactly. That's how I picture it. It's it, because what you look for is what you find, right? Ooh, but, yes. but yeah, it's like what you see. Yeah. I said it good the first time. Um, but we want those people to be the proactive champions that support the mentally. So they lead by example. They, they proactively connect. I've just looked at my phone. I've got two members of my team checking in on me going, 
how are you feeling, Petra? I know it's been a really long week, you know, and you did lots of stuff, you know. So, um, but you need to be explicit and intentional about what what works for people. And, and you know, in Asia, you know, from, from my experience in, in certain companies, um, they don't even want to tell you about your fam their family sometimes. It's just not part of the cultural norm to go like, yeah, and then my brother did this and, you know. So there might be other ways and it's like start where you are and just develop a little bit into into something but mental health champion network how we work not just what we do and if you can have crossover times and create them about intentional connection and fun then then do that that's fantastic thank you yeah great suggestion and uh for our viewers at home who aren't actually watching this uh i did a little meerkat action when uh petra mentioned that because I, I do yeah, we want to we want to look up and we want to look around, but we want a program that is that is proactive. That isn't. Yeah, I love what you said there because I used to I I my father used to say, if you go looking for trouble, you'll find it. And I think the way you put it, you boiled it down one step further, and it makes it just a perfect little nugget of wisdom. Um, one of the big challenges that many of us are facing today, and I'm going to be frank with both of you and uh, anyone who happens to be listening to this, is loneliness at work. It can be extraordinarily difficult across time zones. Like for me, Slack just dies at noon. Like at noon my time, it's a ghost town. There's a literal tumbleweed that grits, gets its way across my desk. I've just abused the word literally. I won't do it again. <laughs> um, and so loneliness and that, um, that sort of isolation has really crept in. Can, can you tell us some ways where team members, managers, leaders, can start to see those things and ways that they could possibly counteract them? Absolutely. I mean, let's remember that loneliness is an, is an emotion, an experience. You can be with people, but feel lonely. And so mm -hmm. I love um, Dr. Brené Brown talks about connection and belonging. And she says it's about being seen, heard, and valued. And so if we put that lens on our mental health initiatives or our connection times or whatever, whatever that looks like. And we, and we kind of ask ourselves within what we've just done, did people feel seen, heard and valued that applies to your one-to-ones. And so that then translates what I was saying earlier about listening, about giving attention and space, because what you're trying to like, if you, when you do that, somebody goes, Oh, I matter. Right. So while I'm all for the, the games and the fun and the connection and all of that, some people, like we've got some introverts on our team they would despise that they would despise it with all of their being right and other and other people would just be like best thing ever you know so it's not <laughs> one size fits all they they might love like the one-to-one -one, like hey shit, what we do is like let's do a walk and talk like let's get away from our desks and wow. just check in and you know so we're, we're in different countries and we'll both be on our headphones and we, you'll hear people go i'm just ordering a coffee order a coffee other person's like, all right, I just got my coffee. Okay, I'm walking, you know, Glenn, my marketing guy's in, in Lisbon, he's on the beach, like I'm in the city of London. And that's how we do our marketing meetings. You know what I mean? So we're like incorporating movement and challenging how we do work together. I mean, isolation is one thing, loneliness is another. So you can put things on the plate of people, but it's up to them, of course, to engage with it. So mm -hmm. a mentally healthy organization has organizational responsibility, if you were to imagine one half of the circle, and it takes personal responsibility, which is the other half. And for some people, a culture isn't quite the right fit for them. 
or they're going through something really difficult at home, which makes it really difficult to connect into something. So it's not bad to feel lonely, right? But I do believe we are out of practice in knowing how to connect. So in the, in the companies that are like hybrid and they come back into the office and everyone's like super awkward and like, I'm just going to stare at my computer anyway, because like, what do I say? Right. And so I think it takes practicing bravery, everyone's responsibility to reach out, say something, go a little bit deeper than the like, how was your weekend? You know, there's different questions you could ask that are more creative than that. Awesome. Lucy, you got anything, anything more we should, we should run by Petra? No, I'm just, I'm just thinking everything kind of that you've been saying, sometimes you, you hear it and you just kind of think, it just makes sense. Thanks. And it's, it's not so you hear someone else talking about it and you go, it doesn't have to be really complicated no. and it doesn't have to be really difficult. And like you say, I think it's so important also to stress on the part kind of, but there is some, some, some personal responsibility as, as well. But yeah, I think the thing that just comes across is it's it's not complicated and it doesn't have to be complicated to be good or to or to work and I think just taking those 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 little little steps in in getting to that bigger place can be can be be such a huge thing it's like what like if you asked everyone in your team what's one small thing you can do today to enhance our culture everyone's responsibility and it could be anything they're going to reach out to somebody they're gonna you know um, do, work differently. They're going to say, let's not have a meeting. Do we need a meeting? Like there's loads of things, but it's like, oh, everyone can do one small thing. But of course in people teams, cause I advise on HR strategy and stuff like that. It's like, whoa, how do we please everybody? And there are like, let's be real. There are some people in crisis. There are some people struggling who are have plummeted into depression or, you know, there's that side of things as well. And so, um, Yes, you want that overarching strategy. Yes, you want a variety of initiatives and places and, th and leadership training, these sorts of things. But ultimately, it's about human interaction and connection and giving people permission to be human. Petra, you participated in the creation of Adaptivist's Digital Etiquette Reinventing Work Report 2022. We, we did a huge study with a lot of res survey respondents and we picked up a whole lot of information from around the Atlassian ecosystem and our other ecosystems that Adaptivist exists in. Is there one thing in that report that really just set you back? I'd say there's a few things, some of which we probably covered. So like, I think it was 89% of people are longing for some kind of connection. And so um, yeah. that, I think we've highlighted that a little bit. Um, interesting ones that, that maybe in the UK attached to cost of living type stuff were around like side hustles and like extra work. And, you know, there were some surprises maybe there. And for me, maybe the thread was like, sometimes a side hustle can just be like a passion project or something that really lifts you up. So it's not necessarily like, oh my God, they're working more hours. That could be the thing that, you know, inspires them. But on the flip side, we're seeing a real rise in burnout statistics. And I don't think that's just about workload. I think it's about our nervous system being overwhelmed with too much fear, fear information and workload. And then over time, if we don't um, release that stress in healthy ways, we're sitting more than ever, you know, we're less connected, then that can build up and stack into, into burnout. So it was interesting to note from the survey results, you know, what people are doing to either leave their jobs 
Uh, and there was an interesting statistic around people regretting that change. That shocked the hell out of me. I was like, what? Go live your best life. And people were like, um, oh my God, it's everywhere. You know, everywhere. <laughs> this ain't this it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I found that interesting as well. But I guess the tips I would draw from that are like self-awareness, like what's going on for you. Everybody's different. There were some paradoxes in, in, in the survey results. Um, but also if we look at them as like, what's the opportunity to evolve our world of work and to take responsibility and have a say, then that becomes quite exciting because I think the world of work was, was ready for a disruption. And that's it for this episode of Team Titans. I want to take a second to thank my co-host, Lucia Scarborough. Lucia, it was amazing talking with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. And the CEO of PVL and mental health consultant, Petra Belzebor, thank you so much for sharing your insight and wisdom. That was tremendous. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. To all our listeners at home, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Team Titans. We really appreciate you being here. Please make sure that you like, comment, review, and share this episode wherever fine podcasts are liked, reviewed, commented on, and shared. We'll see you next time on Team Titans. Thanks, everyone.